Chapter 8 of The Cruise of the Alert in Search of Treasure by E. F. Knight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 8 Bahia. All hands turned out early on the morning after our arrival, anxious for shore leave, so that they might inspect the city that rose before them so majestically from the edge of the green water now could they realize better than by night what a magnificent harbor is this reconcavo an extensive inland sea one hundred miles in circumference into which several large rivers pour their waters surrounded by a country of prodigal fertility and studded with beautiful islands the town was merry as usual with the sound of bells crackers and rockets these are never silent in bahia it is a most religious city. It is called Bahia de Todos los Santos, the Bay of All Saints, and every day of the year is the saint's day of some parish or street or even family, and it has to be celebrated by fireworks, which, according to the custom of the country, are let off by day quite as much as by night. If there happened a sudden cessation of this noise of bells, crackers, and rockets, I believe the inhabitants would run out of their houses in consternation, under the impression that an earthquake or a revolution had come upon them. The Bahian Custom House is not open on Sundays, but the authorities were good enough to break through their rule, and, coming off to us in their launch at an early hour, gave us practique. They also gave us permission to land with our boats at the arsenal and to put off from it at any hour of the day or night. This important privilege is granted as a matter of courtesy to every foreign man of war and yacht. On the other hand, very inconvenient restrictions are placed on merchantmen, originally, I believe, for the purpose of preventing slaves from escaping on board foreign vessels. Slavery has been abolished quite recently, but the old rules still remain in force. No one may leave or board a merchantman after 8 p.m., and anyone who is not on the ship's articles cannot do so even in the daytime without a special permit from the customs house. We were free to do what we pleased during our stay, but I observed that the custom house boats hovered around the alert a good deal at night, and that a sharp watch was evidently kept upon us. All manual labor is left to the Negroes in Brazils, and a yacht manned for the most part with volunteer milords instead of paid hands must have appeared to the natives an incomprehensible and consequently a highly suspicious phenomenon. Even before we had obtained practique, the energetic ship chandlers were off to us in their boats, soliciting our custom by shouting to us from a distance. Practique granted, they closed in upon us. There is a tremendous competition between these gentry at Bahia, as I had discovered while here in the Falcon but i was soon recognized and then all retired from the field save two between whom the competition waxed most furiously it seemed that my old ship chandling firm had split itself into two houses so the two ex-partners and now bitter rivals boarded the alert and each claimed me as his own lawful prey this was embarrassing for i had been satisfied with both when they were as one at the time of the falcon's visit but as a single ship-chandler at a time is quite enough, I had to make an invidious choice between my old friends. One was an Englishman, the other a Brazilian, so I thought it right to surrender myself into the hands of a fellow countryman, Mr. Wilson, who carried us off in triumph in his boat as soon as we had donned our shore-going clothes. 
We landed at the Praia, the ancient and dirty stone quay which stretches along the shore for four miles, a spot of great commercial activity. Here are the great warehouses whence the coffee, sugar, tobacco, cotton, logwood, and the other produce of this rich tropical land are shipped to every quarter of the globe. Here, too, are markets of strange fruits and vegetables at a bazaar where one could buy gorgeous or voluble parrots, baboons, and monkeys of many species, pumas, and jaguars, too, and indeed specimens of nearly all the wild beasts of South America. Grog shops, where poisonous white rum is sold to British seamen, are frequent. Along the quay are ranged the quaint native lighters with their half-naked ebon crews. A jostling, jabbering crowd of negroes and negresses with gaudy robes and turbans throng the praia. And when one first lands, one is oppressed by a bewildering sense of confusion, a flashing of bright colors, a din of negroes, parrots, and monkeys, a compound smell of pineapples and other fruit, of molasses, Africans, bilgewater, tar, filth, too, of every description. Not a monotonous smell, however, but ever-varying. Now a whiff of hot air, sweet with spice, then an odor that might well be the breath of Yellow Jack himself. There was no yellow fever at the time in Bahia, though it had been rather severe at Rio not long before. We repaired to the ship chandlers, saw the latest papers, and heard all the news. I found that Brazilian politics formed the chief topic of conversation. A stranger visiting this country ten years back would have almost imagined that this was a happy land in which politics were unknown, so little did he hear of them. Now all was changed. Everybody was complaining of the stagnation of business. The Creoles were irritated at the recent abolition of slavery, a measure which, according to them, would ruin the country, but which, in the opinion of some, was rendered necessary by the determined resistance of the large bands of fugitive slaves in the southern provinces. The troops were unable to put them down. Their success had brought the country to the verge of a general servile insurrection, so that it became merely a question of whether the government should submit quietly to their demands at once, or be compelled to do so later on, after much bloodshed. I do not think the revolution that took place a few days later was altogether unexpected. There were rumors of it in the air, and an uneasy feeling existed among the mercantile classes. This was my third visit to the port, so I had, of course, plenty of friends in the city. These soon found me out, and I noticed that, despite the supposed unhealthiness of Bahia, none of them looked much the worse for the eight years they had spent here since I had seen them last. There can be no doubt that Brazil enjoys a very healthy climate, considering its position within the tropics. We were elected honorary members of the English club during our stay at Bahia, and there we found that the object of our voyage had been much discussed. The English papers had advertised us somewhat too well, and though the name of the island we were bound for was not exactly mentioned, my Bahian friends had formed more than a suspicion as to our destination. They, of course, knew that I had visited Trinidad before, and they were also aware that a treasure was supposed to be concealed there for the American adventurer called here after the unsuccessful search to which I have alluded. Tell me, said Mr. Wilson with a smile, when he got me alone, tell me in confidence, are you not going to Trinidad again from here? When I had replied in the affirmative, he said, 
Three years after you sailed from here with a falcon, an American came into my office. He had just come from Trinidad and was very reserved about it. But two of the crew told me they had been on shore digging for three days. They did not know what for, but they supposed the captain had some information about hidden treasure. At any rate, they found nothing, and while he was at Bahia, the captain seemed to be very disappointed and would speak of his adventures to no one. This tallied exactly with the letter of the Danish captain, which I have already quoted. It was not altogether agreeable to us to find that our plans were so generally canvassed, for we knew that the Portuguese had laid claim to Trinidad something like two hundred years ago, and it was possible that the Brazilians, as successors to the Portuguese in this quarter of the globe, might consider the island as their own and assert their right to any valuables we might find upon it. I need scarcely say that I had made up my mind, should we find the treasure, to sail directly to some British port. I would not trust myself in any country of the Spanish or Portuguese, for once in their clutches we should in all probability lose all the results of our labor. The Roman Catholic Church of Spain or Lima might, with a fair show of right, demand the treasure as her own. So might the governments of Peru, Chile, Brazil, Spain, or Portugal. But if we could once secure it, get it safely home, and divide it, it would be exceedingly difficult for anyone to establish a better right to it than we could. For should we not have the right of possession, with nine-tenths of the law on our side? Bahia is a dull place, but it is an interesting old city, and contains some very picturesque streets, especially those which connect the upper and lower town, and which wind in flights of stone steps, up a precipitous wall of rock 240 feet in height. This cliff, despite its steepness, is green with bananas, palms, and other tropical plants which fill up all the space between the ancient stone houses and tortuous alleys, producing a very pleasing effect from the sea. The old Dutch and Portuguese houses are very solidly built of stone, and among them are some of the most ancient buildings of the New World. The Fort Lamar, under which we were anchored, is a picturesque fortress constructed by the Dutch 400 years ago on a rocky islet in the harbor. The cathedral and some other of the ecclesiastical buildings in the upper town are built of marble that was brought from Europe. In the olden days, and to some extent this is the case even now, everything needed by the Spanish and Portuguese colonists of the New World, with the exception of gold and jewels, was imported to them from the mother countries. Thus, there are cities in the heart of South America which have quarries of marble in their immediate vicinity, and whose churches are, notwithstanding, built of marble blocks carried from Europe by sea and land at tremendous cost. With its vast arable lands that might supply the granaries of the world, the River Plate district, until quite recently, depended on foreign countries for its supplies of grain. The old theory of the conquistadores that it was beneath their dignity to perform any labor, save that of extracting gold from the country and its natives, seems never to have been quite eradicated from the Creole mind. I could see few changes in Bahia since my last visit. It seemed the same busy, dirty old place. A new, broad carriage road had been carried up the cliff, and this, together with the hydraulic lift which connects the lower with the upper town, has certainly diminished the number of sedan chairs. 
Once these were a quaint feature in a Bahian street scene. They are almost of the same model as those in use in London 200 years ago and are carried by stout Negroes. Now they are only employed by Creole ladies of the old school who do not care to sit in the trams by the side of their late slaves. The crew of the Alert had now the opportunity of relaxing themselves a little before sailing away for the scene of their real work. Some made expeditions up the rivers into the beautiful country that surrounds Bahia, and the frequent race meetings afforded amusement to others. I believe we were lucky, on the whole, while matching ourselves against the local bookmaker, and realized a few thousands, not of pounds, but of reis, of which a thousand are equivalent to two shillings. Our first and second mate left us after we had been a few days at Bahia, packing up their traps and getting ashore before they ventured to announce their intention. From this date, things went smoother with us. The cause of all the mischief on board had departed. There was an alacrity and cheerfulness fore and aft that had been wanting so far. Now, when reefing or other work had to be done, it was accomplished by a third of the number of hands in one-third of the time, and with none of the fuss that seemed necessary before. I do not go so far as to say that a sort of millennium came to the alert, there was still, of course, occasional discord, but on what vessel are there not rows and growlings? It can be safely asserted, however, that from time we left Bahia, the alert was far freer than the average foreign-going vessel from troubles of this description. And this is very creditable, seeing that our crew was so unusually constituted, half the men being paying instead of paid hands, and therefore possibly inclined to imagine that they had a right to more voice in the management of things than was quite feasible. The crew of the Alert now consisted of ten, all told. Dr. Clota Smith, Mr. Pollock, Mr. Powell, Mr. Purcell, and myself aft, Ted Miller, John Wright, Arthur Cotton, and the two colored men forward. Of the nine volunteers who sailed from England, five thus remained. None of the gentlemen above mentioned had any practical knowledge of the sea when we left Southampton, but they picked up a good deal in the course of the voyage to Bahia and now set to with a will to learn more. I was the only navigator on board when we sailed from Bahia, but before the cruise was over, everybody aft could take his observations of the sun and work out his latitude and longitude. I now appointed Dr. Clota Smith as my mate, he to take the port watch and myself the starboard. Mr. Pollock and Mr. Purcell undertook the posts of purser and carpenter. We laid in a quantity of provisions at Bahia. These, in consequence partly of the heavy duties and partly of the constant obstacles placed by a corrupt administration in the way of all commerce, are excessively dear in this port. Among other stores, we procured two barrels of salt beef, which proved to be somewhat better than we got at Santa Cruz, a cask of rough and strong Portuguese wine, cases of preserved guavas, tamarinds, and figs, and, of course, as many pineapples, hands of bananas, oranges, yams, sweet potatoes, and pumpkins as we could carry. Here, too, we purchased some tools, a large iron cooking pot for our camp on the island, some blasting powder, and several stout bamboos for the purpose of constructing rafts. We had had enough of Bahia in a week, and were all ready for sea again on November 9th. 
but as several letters expected by members of the expedition had not arrived we put off our departure until the coming of the next mail steamer from england it was lucky for us that we did this for we thereby escaped some rather tempestuous weather on november eleventh the royal mail steamer la plata arrived from the north bringing with her the missing letters we had intended to sail at daybreak on the following morning but the glass began to fall and the wind rose in the night in the morning the sky had a very stormy appearance and a fresh southwest gale was blowing on the following day november thirteenth there was a continuance of the same weather and the scud overhead was travelling at a great rate an english cargo steamer came in this day from the southward so i went on shore to find her captain and inquire from him what it was like outside the bay he told me that he had been overtaken by the gale in the latitude of cape frio and that a heavy sea was running in the atlantic while on the bar the breakers would be dangerous for a small vessel hearing this impatient as we were to get away i decided that it would be better to remain where we were until the gale had blown itself out this was no doubt the fag end of a pampero or river plate hurricane the pampero so called because after rising in the andes it sweeps over the vast plains of the pampas increasing in force as it travels blows with great fury at the mouth of the river plate and sometimes extends far north i had had some experience of pamperos and was not fond of them i rode out one on the falcon at anchor off montevideo and on that occasion fifteen solid stone houses were blown down in a row on the sea front the exhibition building at buenos aires was destroyed and a bark lying at anchor near us was capsized by the first gust we ran before another of these storms for three days and were nearly lost the pampero was our bugbear while we lay off trinidad for this islet is within the range of the more formidable of these gales and even when they do not extend so far the great swell raised by them rolls up hundreds of miles to the northward of the wind's influence and breaks furiously all around the exposed shores of trinidad towards evening the wind moderated and the glass began to rise but the rain continued to fall heavily on the following morning november fourteenth the weather had still further improved so anchor was weighed at eight a m and we sailed out of the harbor my companions in very cheerful spirits and eager to get to the desert island and be at work with pick and shovel as soon as possible we had now done with civilization for some time to come and we had no idea when and where and under what conditions we should next see any men save those forming our own little band trinidad is roughly six hundred eighty nautical miles from bahia we sighted it in exactly six days from the time we weighed anchor the experiences of our first day out did not promise well for a smart voyage we tumbled about a good deal on the bar at the mouth of the bay and found that the sea outside had not yet gone down the wind was moderate and variable but generally southeast that is right in our teeth we tacked the ship three times in the course of the day and made little progress against the head sea on the following day november fifteenth things looked better the wind veered to the eastward so that the yacht could lay her course with her sheets slacked off a bit the next day the wind was fairer still from the east-northeast blowing fresh and raising a steep confused sea for the southwest swell of the pampero had not yet entirely subsided 
we close-reefed the foresail so as to prevent the vessel driving her nose into the seas and during this day and the next november seventeenth we were constantly tricing up the tack of the mainsail in the squalls on the eighteenth and nineteenth the wind was moderate so we had all canvas on the old vessel again including topsail and balloon foresail and on the morning of november twentieth all hands were in eager expectance of catching the first glimpse of treasure island about eight a m it suddenly appeared right ahead a faint blue peak on the horizon fully forty miles away End of chapter eight